Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. standing as I read God's word. We're, uh, Ben's going to be preaching from Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed... You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. All right, so we got a lot to cover. That's a pretty big passage, so a lot in there. So I hope everybody is uh, awake, excited ready to dive in, learn, be encouraged by the Spirit of God and by His Word. Uh, I've had a few weeks off from preaching, so I'm going to try not to get too excited up here. I'm going to try and contain a little bit of it. And uh, I am very excited to get back into preaching. And um, Yeah, today we're going to be learning more about faith. And if you've been around New King for a little while, you might say, I've heard this already. I think I've already heard this one. We've heard a sermon on faith before. Um, and, but the reality is, as long as we keep preaching through books of the Bible the way that we are, we're going to have sermons that come back to some of the same themes again and again. And one of those themes that we're going to come back to again and again is this theme of faith. Understanding what it is. Understanding it from different angles. Uh, because the first time that we hear about it, the, the second time we hear about it, the 50th time that we hear about it, we don't get it all figured out, right? And so we need to keep coming back to it and learning more about it. 
So today we're going to be learning more about faith, about unbelief, um, about how that affects us, about how Jesus sees it, which is very important. And so that's where we're headed this morning. Um, If you uh, have a notebook, pen and paper, you might want to get it out, get, get your pen ready, loosen up that hand, and get ready for some, some note-taking, um, and we're going to dive into it. But let me pray for us one more time before we, before we dig in. Father, God, I pray, that, I pray that you would move among us. I know, I sense that you are here. Your presence is here among us today, and that you are ready to, to do work in this place. You're ready to do work on our lives, to change us, to, to make us look more like Jesus, to bring us closer into alignment with your word, with your will. God, to, to completely change our perspective and our thinking and our actions. Lord, you want to do more through this church. I know you do. I know you want to accomplish great things through your church because you want your glory to spread in this earth. And you do that through your church, through your spirit-empowered church. And your church reflects your glory when we have faith, when we believe, we access your power and your spirit through faith. And so, God, would you birth fresh faith in us? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this story, uh, it's like in this story, we get a peek into how Jesus really feels about unbelief. He's so patient. He's so, he, he is so patient with us and with his disciples with, with the people that he's dealing with who are always struggling with unbelief. And so, so much of the time we don't get to see how it really makes him feel. But all of a sudden in this story, it's like we get a glimpse. We get a peek into, into his heart, and into how he sees unbelief. He's coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration and this uh, father comes and falls down before him and asks him to heal his son who's afflicted with a demon. This demon's trying to destroy his son. And this father's already brought his son to Jesus' disciples, and they tried to cast this demon out, and they weren't able. And then Jesus exclaims, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? To bear with you, it literally means how long am I to put up with you? Bring him here to me. So we see this glimpse into how Jesus sees unbelief, faithlessness. It grieves his heart. And so it turns a generation into a twisted generation. And that brings me to my first point. If you're a note taker, uh, we're going to look at the evil of unbelief. The evil of unbelief. 
when we read this reaction from Jesus, we might tend to think, wow, that seems almost like an overreaction. Like, why, why such a strong reaction? But this isn't, this isn't unusual, right? We see him all through the Gospels rebuking unbelief and little faith. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? We see him um, praising faith. Oh, may it be done to you according to your faith. Or in all of Israel, I have not found such faith. Everywhere he goes, he is looking for this. He's looking for faith. And when he sees an absence of faith, it grieves him. It grieves him. Why is that? And the answer is because it is evil. Unbelief is evil. When he uses this word twisted, twisted generation, that word for twisted can also be translated perverse or perverted or distorted. He's saying this is a perverted, this is a twisted or or distorted Generation. It's a generation that sees all of reality in a distorted way, in a perverted way. To pervert something is to take something that's good and right and to twist it into something that's wrong and evil. And he sees this. Jesus sees this everywhere he goes. You've got to remember who Jesus is. You've got to remember his holiness. You've got to imagine what all he saw that we wouldn't see. If we were walking around with Jesus, it'd be like he had a completely different perspective on the things happening around him. Because of his holiness, because of his perfection, he would see all of the sin, all of the perverse things around him. Well, the Bible tells us that unbelief is evil. And We don't often think of it that way. We often um, excuse our unbelief or think of it as no big deal. Because we tend to think of actions, our actions are what really grieve God. Our actions are what are really sinful. And to, to be unbelieving, we don't think of as something that grievous to God. But it is, and I want to explain why. Let's look together at Hebrews chapter 3. If you want to flip over there, but we can look at it together on the screen as well. We can read it together on the screen. And we're going to come back to this verse again a little bit, um, these verses. But in Hebrews chapter 3, let's read this together. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, now we're going to skip down to verse 17. And this is talking about the Israelites who wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, and then God didn't allow them into the promised land. Here's what he says. With whom was he, was God, provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Okay, so it was those who sinned, it was those who were disobedient. Then he says, So we see that 
they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Did you catch that there? Who was he provoked with? Those who sinned. Who, who was it that, that was not able to enter into the promised land? The disobedient. And then he says, and you would think that he would say, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their rebellion or because of their disobedience or because of their sin. But what's he say? Unbelief. We see that they were unable to enter in because of their unbelief. Why? Why does the writer of Hebrews do that? Why does he set us up that way? Because what this is getting at is that all of their disobedience, all of their sinning was because of their unbelief. At the root of all of our sinning, at the root of all of our disobedience, is unbelief. This has always been the case, and it goes back to the garden. But every single time you sin or I sin, it can be traced back to unbelief. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Maybe you're familiar with the story, but let's just look at it with fresh eyes. This is the story of when the first human beings sin and fall. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So what is it that Satan is doing? What's the serpent doing in the garden? Well, before he can get Adam and Eve to act in a sinful way, he must cause them to lose faith in their creator. He has to cause them to have doubt. He has to cause them to have unbelief because only out of unbelief can sin come. And so we see throughout the scriptures that unbelief is the root and cause of all sin. It's the root and cause of all sin. So he plants doubt in Eve's heart. Did God actually say? In other words, would he really hold something back from you like that, Eve? Maybe, maybe you're really missing out. Maybe the thing that God said would produce death in you is actually the thing that would make you the happiest. And he whispers the same thing to us today. Maybe the thing that God does, is saying that he doesn't want you to have is the thing that would make you the happiest. If you just take it. If you just take it. And so we don't trust him. We don't believe that he's good that his word is good, that his ways are good, that he's enough, that he would satisfy the things that he says we shouldn't do, we really shouldn't do. 
that they really do produce death. So we don't trust him. And this is what Jesus sees when he sees unbelief. Now, let's come back to our story. When Jesus sees unbelief, when he sees a lack of faith, what he sees is the root and cause of all sin. He sees the thing that has ruined his perfect creation. Keep in mind who it was who was provoked for 40 years. It was Jesus. Remember that Jesus, he didn't begin to exist when he was born. He has existed from eternity past. He is the eternal son of God. And so unbelief, it grieves him. He says, oh, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to bear with you? Unbelief, it's not trusting God. It's not believing his word. Or it's not believing he exists. Or, or it's living in that moment as if he didn't exist. And so in that moment, when you don't live in reference to God, when you, when you aren't living as though he's real, he sees you, he's there, then you're living in unbelief. In answer to the question, what is sin? The New City Catechism has an awesome definition. We'll look at it together. It says, sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. Rebelling against him by living without reference to him. And then it says, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. Now, we tend to think, when we think of sin, we tend to think of not being or doing what he requires in his law, right? But I love this definition of sin because it takes us back to before the action. And it says sin is, it begins with rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. Do you see the audacity in that? To live in a world that God created, that he sustains, that he holds together by the word of his power, to walk around as though he didn't exist. And that's exactly what Satan's desire is. That we would walk around without reference to him. And here's the thing, when you try to live in the world he created as if he doesn't exist, then you will see everything in a twisted way. This is how we become a twisted generation. A faithless generation is a twisted generation. Romans 1 talks about this. Romans 1, if you look at starting in like verse 18 and on down, it talks about how we suppress the truth by our unrighteousness and we don't honor God or give thanks to him. So what are we doing? We're ignoring him. And then we're given over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Then we begin to have foolish, darkened minds is the way that Romans puts it. 
We're living without reference to the God who made it all. And all of the sudden, the simplest, most obvious things in nature are clouded and darkened. We become delusional. And all of a sudden, we're not sure what is a male and what is a female, right? All of a sudden, we cannot discern the simple truths that are evident in creation. And this is how a generation gets to this place. When you remove God, the creator, from the equation, you cannot understand creation at all. And this happens in our world to the point that we will come to a place as a society where we will shout our abortions and silence Christians. And it's because we've twisted the truth. We, we see everything in a darkened way. And it grieves our Lord. How long am I to bear with you? And so for us, how do we apply this first point? Well, we need to see our unbelief for what it is. We need to see it as sin. And until we do, we cannot move past it. We can't repent of something we don't think is evil. We can't repent of something that we don't see as sin. And I look around and I see a world that has taken doubt and said doubt is good. It's okay as long as we're honest about it. And now all of a sudden, as long as we're honest about how we're feeling and as long as we're honest about it, we can, we can play with this fire. But the Bible says you cannot play with fire and not get burned. You can't carry it next to your chest and not get burned. And unbelief is the root and cause of all sin and all sinning. And until we see it as such, we can't repent of it. So we need to call it what it is. It's evil. We need to confess it as sin to the Lord. We need to repent of it as we would with any other sin. And then here's the thing. Here's the good news for us. Because we all, we all doubt. We all have unbelief in our hearts. And so here's the good news. Just like when we bring any other sin to our Lord, just like when we bring any other sin and confess it and bring it into the light, and we say, and we call it what it is, that's what it means to confess sin, then what happens? We find grace and mercy. Our Lord looks at us and says, I see, I understand. He knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust. And because of his death, because of his sacrifice, there's mercy. There's help. But we can't get help if we don't see it as wrong. We can't get mercy if we don't confess it as sin. So that brings me to my second point. The effect of unbelief. Now, if that's supposed to be an A, effect, then don't anybody tell me. I'm, I don't know. And I wanted ease. Okay. Okay. T- we got a teacher saying this is right. <laughs> All right. The effect of unbelief. Look at verses 18 through 20. 
And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, the point of this story is to show us how unbelief affects the lives of Christians. We've talked about in this last point, sort of generally speaking, how does, unbelief, how does Jesus see unbelief? How does the Bible see unbelief? How does unbelief affect the world and a generation? And how does it affect the world generally? But now I want us to zero in because now this is talking about how unbelief is affecting these disciples. And, I mean, to simplify the story, they tried to do something. They tried to cast a demon out. They tried to do something that back in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus had commissioned and empowered them to do. And they weren't able to do it And the reason that Jesus gives is because of their little faith. Here's what I was thinking about is that if we put ourselves into this story, here's probably the way that we would would have thought that Jesus would have answered. We would have said, Lord, why could I not, now fill in the blank, whatever, why could I not do this thing? that I should be able to do, that you've empowered me to do, you've commissioned me to do, you've given me your spirit to do, you've given me permission to do, why could I not? And we would think Jesus' answer would be something like this. You sinned a lot this week. You didn't pray like you should have this week. I saw your time in the Word was a little weak. That's what we think that he would say. Or am I the only one? Am I the only one who ever, I get ready to do something for the Lord and my, my mind goes back to, oh, but I just, I haven't really been like on the mountaintop this week. And I think he looks at me and he says, you know, son, on your best day, it's the righteousness of Jesus that makes you able to stand. And on your worst day. In your best week, it's because of the blood of Jesus that you're even allowed to, to stand up and preach my word and not because of your performance. And I wonder if the disciples in this scenario were wondering, was it because I had a bad week that I wasn't able to cast this demon out? But Jesus says, Something different. He gives a different answer. He says, it is because of your little faith. And notice that he doesn't say it's because you had no faith. He's, they, I, here's what I think. I think these disciples had no doubt in their minds that Jesus could do it. No doubt that he had all the power and the authority to cast the demons or demon out of this boy. But that, that I think what happened is they went to cast the demon out, and maybe this 
maybe this demon or these demons put up a little bit more of a, a fight than what they were used to and what they'd experienced in the past. I don't know, I'm not sure. But whatever the case, they didn't believe that it could happen, that they could do it, even though Jesus had commissioned them to do it. He had empowered them to do it in his name. And so we see that there was work that God was willing to do through them that they were not able to accomplish because of their unbelief. And we find this throughout the Scriptures. We find that he goes to Capernaum and it says that Jesus was unable to do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. That our unbelief limits us. We find him over and over again saying, may it be done to you according to your faith. And I think that that's true for all of us. It's done according to our faith. And here's the thing. We, we, we might, in our living in this modern age, we might read a story like this. We, we read Jesus talking about moving mountains into the sea, and we, and we turn it all figurative, and we say, you know, well, let me just... I'm, he's talking about, like, figurative mountains, and so, like... I'm going to tell my, my, my debt, you know, my debt to be cast into the sea or whatever. But the, the context of this story is supernatural ministry. The context of this story is demons being cast out of a person. It's supernatural ministry. Church, we are commissioned to supernatural ministry. We are commissioned to pray for the sick and see them healed. Like all Christians, we are commissioned to speak to demons and cast them out of people. And I know that this, I, I, I understand that if you are new to this, if, if this is something that you're just now beginning to explore, how how strange this sounds, but bear with me. There is more to our world than meets the eye. There's a whole lot more going on than what we see with our natural eyes. And it's when we forget that that we forget that Christians are called to supernatural ministry. And listen, if we forget that we're called to supernatural ministry, we certainly won't have the faith for supernatural ministry. If we don't pray for supernatural things, then will we ever see supernatural answers to prayer? If all of our prayers are, God, help me to have a good day today. Help me to have a good day at work. If all of our prayers are things that can happen apart from prayer. Are you following me? Like, Do, do we believe the Bible? Do we believe that what happens in the Bible is reality? These aren't just stories. Demons are real. The domain of darkness is real. God is real. Angels are real. The things that we cannot see are more real than what we can see. I say it that way because, I, because out of what we cannot see, all of what we see was created. A God that we cannot see spoke and all of this came to be. 
We were called to supernatural ministry. And Jesus said very plainly that nothing would be impossible for us if we had faith. I wonder what all God is willing to do if we just had the faith for it. I wonder. And I think we just need to start exploring that question. Lord, is your vision for New King Church, is your vision for my life, what you want to accomplish through me bigger than my vision? I think probably for all of us he would say, yes, a lot bigger. I want to do a lot more through you than what I'm currently doing. There is a lot more available to you than what you're currently walking in. Again, I just, just to reiterate, this power for these disciples was theirs. It was given to them. They could not access what was theirs because they didn't have the faith. And so... Not only is faith the cause of a generation becoming a twisted generation, but it's also a lack, a lack of faith is a cause of a church becoming an impotent church. It limits what God wants to do. It limits His work through us. Paul prayed for the Believers in Ephesus, that Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith. That is to a church who already has the Spirit of Christ in them, blood, bought, sealed, redeemed people. And he says, I'm praying for you that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. The way that we access Christ, the way that we access his life, the way that we abide in him, the way that he does his work through us is through our faith. It's through believing him, trusting in him, asking him, and seeing him move. All right, let me move on to the next one. The third point is the end point of unbelief. Now we're going to go back up to the beginning of this story. And it says, When they came to the crowd, verse 14, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. Now, I've already started to hit on this, so for the sake of getting to all my points, I'm going to just hit this briefly. I just want to remind us that this domain of darkness is real. And this story shows us what happens when Demon, a demon has its way with a person. And what happens is that that demon seeks to destroy that person. This is the goal of the domain of darkness, to wipe out the image of God on the earth. Their desire is death and destruction. And I think that it does us good to remember that this domain of darkness, these demons, they're real. I think one reason that we are so comfortable with unbelief is because we don't really believe that the domain of darkness is real. And here's the thing about unbelief and sin. 
when we are unbelieving, we are partnering with, in a sense, we are coming into agreement with the domain of darkness. The domain of darkness, Satan's realm, was started with Satan believing that his way would be better than God's way. In other words, it began with Satan's unbelief. And the way that he brings humanity into his rebellion is by causing them to do the same. By causing humanity to disbelieve God's word. To doubt God's word. And so when we are unbelieving, we are partnering with, agreeing with, Satan's realm, the domain of darkness. Unbelief is not stagnant. It's not inactive in our hearts. Let's come back to that passage in Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, what happens with an evil, unbelieving heart? Leading you to fall away from the living God. An evil, unbelieving heart, an unbelieving heart takes you somewhere. It leads you somewhere. And it leads you away from the living God. Every bit of our unbelief takes us away from him, further away from him. And every bit of our faith leads us back to him, back to the giver of life. And as we consider this demon that's trying to destroy this boy, I want us to remember that to fall away from the living God is to fall into the domain of darkness. And we are so comfortable with drifting away from him because we forget that we're drifting into slavery. We're drifting into darkness. Notice that it says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is a progressive hardening. All sin and all unbelief hardens our hearts more to God. And so we need this daily encouragement from each other to break up that hardening, right? When we remind each other, when we take communion here in just a little bit, when we sing songs about the church arising and putting on the armor of God, when we hear the word preached, when we, when we reach out to a brother or sister and they say, don't keep going down that road of sin, or they say, have you been in the word? Get in the word. What's happening? That shell of hardening is getting broken up. Because faith is getting birthed in us. And so unbelief takes us to a destination. That destination is death and destruction. Away from the living God is eternal death. And so we need to remember this in order that it might sober us up and make us think rightly about unbelief. Now, four. Point number four, I want us to consider the elimination of unbelief. We're covering a lot of ground here. So there's 
more in this section that I'm going to be able to talk about, but let's look at it quickly, verses 24 through 27. It says, And when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. When he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax, from their sons or from others? When he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. When you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, really quickly, what's going on here? This drachma, two drachma tax is a temple tax or a tabernacle tax when it was originally instituted in, uh, in the law. In Exodus chapter 30, this was a tax for all males uh, who are adults, they would have to contribute toward the tabernacle. And then once the temple was built, toward the temple. And so this is Old Covenant law. And the collectors of the tax come and they say, does your teacher not, not pay the tax? And Jesus says, do kings tax their own children? Or do they tax the, the people in their kingdom? And the answer is, well, the people in their kingdom. And Jesus says, yeah, so I'm exempt. <laughs> but, notice, but notice he doesn't say just, I'm exempt. Notice what he says. Then the sons are free. Now, what's happening here is big and awesome, yeah. glorious, what he is pointing to is that there is a new covenant coming to replace the old. And that in this new covenant, you're going to be sons and daughters of God, and you're not going to be under the old law, under the old written code. And he's saying there's about to be a new way. And so, no, we don't have to pay the tax. But look at what he does. He doesn't use his freedom to his own advantage. He doesn't use his own freedom to his advantage. He says, but not to give offense. Let's pay it. And he says, I don't have two drachma on me. So, uh, I know of a fish. Now, is this, is this, Supernatural or what? I, I mean, I just, as I was studying this, I kept asking the question, why, Jesus, why this way? If, if you, have, you have supernatural power, why didn't you just go pull one out from behind his ear? You know, here you go, Peter, take that. Why this way? And I think the answer is that this way engages Peter. It forces him to step out. It forces him to take steps of faith that don't make sense. He's throwing an empty hook into the water, expecting that somehow this is going to result in some money. I mean, how many different ways could Jesus have solved this problem? Peter is a fisherman. 
Could he not have said, go out in your boat, toss your nets out, you'll get a great catch, sell the fish, that'll be enough? Why does he do it this way? Why make him do something strange? We need to ask these kinds of questions of the text when we read the Bible. We need to read it and say, why this way? Wrestle with it. Ask good questions. Why, Jesus? Why this strange way? And I think it's to show us his power. It's to show us his ability to do things that are completely unexpected, that don't make any sense. And it's because he's going to ask us to do things that don't make any sense. If we're following, if we're listening, if our ears are in tune, he's going to ask us to go about things in a way that we wouldn't normally. You see, because it will show his power. I think about the story of David praying when the Philistines are mustering against him and the Lord, and he goes to the Lord, he inquires of the Lord, shall we go up against the Philistines? The Lord says, yeah, go out against them. He goes out against them. The very next, the very next paragraph. And then they mustered against him again at the same place. And he inquires of the Lord again. And this time the Lord says, no, don't. This time go around to their rear. Wait until you hear the sound of marching in the balsam trees. It's weird. It's strange. But it shows his power. It shows his creativity. It's supernatural. I, I, want, I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that is a living epistle. That's words that the Bible uses to say. A life that cannot be explained any other way but by the fact that there is a God behind it. I want that to be my life at the end. I want my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids to, to hear the story of my life and say, that life is evidence of God. Do you want that? Then we need to listen. Notice what it takes for this miracle to happen. First of all, Peter needs to know Jesus. He needs to know his Lord, his Lord that is a son, the son of God, who's bringing in a new covenant, a new way of relating to God, a free son. And then he needs to know that he's included with Jesus in this new covenant, that the sons are free. He needs to know who he is in Christ. And then he needs to listen and he needs to follow the directions, the instructions exactly. Go to the sea. Take a pole. Take a hook. Throw it into the water. Take the first fish. Open its mouth. He's got to follow the instructions exactly in order to see this miracle take place. And it's not until he's taking the steps of faith that he sees the miraculous provision. And the same will be true for us. So how do we eliminate unbelief? We need to know our Lord. We need to know who he is. We need to get to know him more and more. We need to know who we are. We need to know who we are in him. What are these 
incredible privileges that have been given to us. We've been brought into the house. We've been adopted. We've been made one with him. We are in a new covenant. We are forgiven of our sins. Our sins are cast as far away from us as the east is from the west. We have been given every spiritual blessing, blessing in the heavenlies. We've made, been made heirs of an eternal kingdom. We have been commissioned to go and do supernatural ministry. We need to know these things, and then we need to listen and we need to obey exactly what he says, even if it sounds crazy. Finally, point number five. We've talked about the evil of unbelief, the effect of unbelief, the end point of unbelief, the elimination of unbelief, but now I want us to look at the starting point of all faith. So turn back to verses 22 and 23. This is where faith begins. So maybe you don't know where to start. Maybe you hear all of this and you question in your mind, well, where do I begin? How do I get started on this? Sounds like a lifelong journey, and it is. Look at verse 22 and 23. And they were gathering in Galilee. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. Here Jesus not only predicts that he will die and be raised, as he has done before, but now here he also predicts that he will be delivered. He knows that he's going going to be betrayed by his friend. The reason is because this was the plan all along. The crucifixion of Christ was not an accident. This was the plan from eternity past. That Jesus, the perfect human who never sinned, would go to the cross in the place of sinful humans and that he would take all of our sin upon himself. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. And on that cross, he not only took our sins, he became our sins. He became cursed. Because that's what we deserve. Because we have not believed God. Because we have acted in ways in accordance with our unbelief. We have rejected him and ignored him in the world that he made. And so on the cross, Jesus took the penalty for it all. God said from the very beginning that the penalty of sin was death. And on the cross, Jesus paid the price in full. As he breathed his last breath, he cried out, it is finished. In other words, the debt is fully paid. And Jesus was buried. And then on the third day, the author of life came walking out of the grave. He came walking out. And he is alive today. We 
worship and serve a living Lord. He sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over the universe, offering life to everyone who would believe in his name. Not to those who can cut it. Not to those who can be good enough. There is no such thing by the works of the law. No man will be justified. But to those who believe. To those who do not work, but believe. This is the starting point of all faith. It's what we rehearse every single week as we take communion. We go back to this. Why? Because this is the foundation of it all. This is where all faith begins, where new life begins, where forgiveness begins, where our sin ends and new life begins. And so if you've never put your trust in him, then I want to invite you to do that today, to turn to him in faith, to trust him and believe. Believe that his death was sufficient for you and that he has indeed risen from the grave. So pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for your son. Thank you that he was willing to pay the price in full. In full. This gospel is such good news. Lord Jesus, thank you for suffering in our place, for taking all of our sin until the point that it was totally paid for. Lord, would you birth new faith in us? Would you bring us back to this foundation, the foundation of your death and burial and resurrection? That you have now commissioned your church to go and do supernatural ministry. God, forgive us for our little faith, for putting this thing into a little box that makes sense to us. Lord, help us to see that there's so much more available to us, that you want to do so much more through us. Open up our ears to hear, Lord. Give us instructions. Tell us to do things, even if it sounds crazy, God. I pray that there would be testimonies of supernatural ministry all through this church. I thank you that there are. And I pray that there would be more. And Lord, for those who don't know you yet, may today be the very start of their life with you. Grant them the gift of faith. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.